of Christmas time. I love watching people go out all out for Christmas. We've been kind of driving around uh, our neighborhood and different neighborhoods to see if we can spot the Griswolds, you know. Um, and it's just a, just a great joy uh, to, to kind of do that stuff. And, you know, this is a crazy season, you know. Some of you have done that to your homes, and some of you are spending money like your last name is Bezos or Musk, you know. You're buying all the gifts. And I don't know about you, I've ate a ton already. Like, I asked for pants for Christmas. I'm going to have to bump that up a size already. I'm going to eat like Santa at a buffet line. And um, it, it's, uh, you know, it's just a, it's a joyful season. It's a lot of fun, a lot of craziness. And, uh, and, and, you know, in our community, in our culture, a ton of people celebrate Christmas, but not a lot of people celebrate the Christ of Christmas. And, uh, and so what we've been doing in this Advent season and, and this Advent series, and Advent just means a coming or an arrival. So we celebrate Jesus's first coming, his first arrival, right? We also look forward to his second Advent, his second coming, his second arrival. And one of the strategies that we've had in this series is we really just wanted to see who is Jesus? Who is the biblical Jesus? And, 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 and who is he? What is he? What offices does he hold? Because this is a huge deal uh and and a lot of a lot of religions a lot of people believe in jesus to a certain extent right i mean if you just kind of walk through a couple of different religions muslims believe in jesus uh, uh, Jesus is even in the Quran. They call him Esau in the Quran, but they, they don't see him obviously as the Son of God. They see him as one of the greatest prophets ever, but they don't see him as God. They don't. They don't see him as worthy of worship. But they have a view of Jesus. Um, Obviously, Jews have a historical view of Jesus. They believe he existed, but they, they just believe he was a guy with a Messiah complex, not the actual Messiah. Uh, and so, so they, don't, they don't worship him or see him as the Son of God. They just see him as a historical, historical figure. Uh, Hindus um, believe in Jesus. There's a, there's a God that many Hindus believe that the, the, the Hindu God Vishnu was, the, was incarnated as Jesus. And that, that Vishnu kind of incarnated to several people throughout history, but that Jesus uh, is included into uh, kind of the things that they believe. And um, then you've got atheists and agnostics like Jews. They believe in a historical Jesus. They believe he existed and, and uh, that he walked on the planet. But like, you know, no different than say like george washington or winston churchill or just some other historical figure not worthy of worship not the son of god not worthy of uh, of allegiance maybe like a social justice kind of hero or a good teacher but not god and even many christians and, and i think that's why my heart was to step into this kind of ex explanation of the offices of christ because many christians uh, are nominal in their faith or cultural kind of Christians in their their ideology of, of Jesus They want enough Jesus to get them out of hell And to give them like a genie in a bottle some blessing uh, But but they don't want to bow their knee in allegiance to him They don't want to be in submission to him that if he says don't do that Or if he says do that that they that they have to be ruled and reigned by Christ and this is the very definition of a Christian. You know, because I, I talked to you last week about a lot of people want to just see uh, Jesus as priest, forgiving me of my sin, being merciful and gracious to me, uh, helping me in my time of need, uh, suffering when I suffer. But they don't want to see him as king, as someone who is owed my allegiance, my obedience, 
uh, my worship, my adoration. And so there's this kind of dichotomy within people that talk about their testimony where they say, well, I got saved at this point, but I didn't make him Lord until this point. But I believe that to be a false dichotomy. If he is not your ruler, he's not your redeemer. If you haven't bowed your knee to Christ, then you have not submitted to him in salvation. He's not saved you. And, and so seeing Jesus in the rightful roles, and when we talked the first week, remember Jesus was prophet, that he was the word of God spoken to the people, right? He was, he was the communication of God. This is the revelation of God to, to people. Jesus is prophet. We talked last week, Jesus is priest. He is the mediator between God and man. He, he is the sacrifice sufficient to save mankind and to make us acceptable and pleasing to God forever. We needed Jesus as priest. And this week we're looking at Jesus as king, that he will rule and reign forevermore, that he is worthy of submission and allegiance and obedience and he's worthy of a people that have been redeemed to also uh, bow their knee to christ so let's dive in zechariah 9 we're going to read 9 and 10 in this i want to start in verse 9 and uh and let's read this together it says rejoice greatly o daughter of zion shout aloud o daughter of jerusalem Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Uh, the first point I want us to kind of talk about is that where he says, the king is coming to you, or the, the king is coming for you. 500 years before Jesus was born, Zechariah promised and prophesied the, 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 the promise of a coming king. And, uh, and, and that's what you have uh, happening here. And, and the phrase, the, the king is coming to you, can also be translated, the king is coming for you, which gives me a whole greater perspective. Because if I'm, I'm trapped, if, I, if I've been abducted and I, I, I'm, I'm in, enslaved, I need someone not just to come to me, I need someone to come for me. I need Rambo Jesus to come guns blazing and to rescue me out of my slavery to sin right and and so so a king is coming for you uh and 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 to rescue and and to to rescue from uh, uh what is the, the dominion of sin now uh, because of Israel's disobedience, we see all throughout the Old Testament that they were over and over given to, uh, um, to, to being captured and enslaved by surrounding nations. They, like This was this pattern, right? God would establish them as a people, they would worship God for a moment, and then they would begin to be swayed to false gods. They would worship these false gods, and then God would give them up to be enslaved by the surrounding nations, and they would be taken captive until God, until they repented, and then God again restored them as a people. And that's kind of the scene that Jesus walks into again, in that you have uh, Jews that are not, they don't have their own nation, they don't have their own, uh, you know, uh, theocracy or, or governmental um, system. They are in uh, subjugation to Rome. And so th they're praying and hoping that the promised 
king, the promised Messiah, would come as like King Arthur, right? Like, like he's going to come and he's going to defeat Rome and, uh, and he's going to establish us as a people again. We're going to get to make our own government. We're going to get to make our own rules. We're going to be our own people. We're going to have our own land. We're, we're going to be a people again. And this is what the Jews were, were longing for and expecting that, that the Messiah would come, overthrow Roman dominion, and, uh, and establish them again as a people. But that is a misinterpretation of Christ's first coming. Christ came for a bigger enemy than Rome. He came for a greater foe than Caesar or Herod. He came for the dominion of sin. He came for the greatest enemy of all. He came as an act of war against our greatest enslaver his sin and that's why he came and he came and he established and he, he defeated sin and death on the cross and and he's going to defeat it with finality when he comes again and uh and 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 what establishes again the people of god as the people of god is that they welcome king jesus as king if we don't welcome him as as king, if we don't embrace him as king in our life, we, we, we will never realize um, the the we'll, we'll never be free from the dominion of sin over us. Jesus came to defeat sin within us, to defeat sin in total, and that's what he has done. And so, in our embracing his kingship, is a a fight on the dominion of sin and death over our own lives. That's why he came. I came to seek and to save the lost, Christ said. Um, It's why he came. First John talks about that he came to destroy the works of the devil. He's come to destroy the dominion of sin and death forever. And he came for you, not just to you. He came for you, to free you, to, to, to meet your greatest need. This is the gospel. That God saves sinners. Our greatest need was that we were sinners and we were outside of the kingdom of God, outside of his rule and reign, and not just like innocently outside of the kingdom. We were enemies of God. We we weren't just like mistakenly walking the wrong path. We were spiritually at odds with God. We were spiritual rebels. We, We had spiritual guns aimed at God and said, we want nothing to do with you. That's where we were spiritually, dead. And God, in His great mercy, but in His great power, came and defeated sin so that we could not just be made friends of God, but children of God. So we go from rebels and enemies and God-haters to friends, children, sons and daughters. This is the war that Jesus has won. This is the kingdom that he has established. He has put sin under his feet and he continues to redeem his people and, and, and from the, the muck and the mire of sin and death and to place them on the rock of Christ. This is the work Christ has accomplished and continuing to accomplish. This is the good news. This is the gospel. Now, I want to point you to, if you remember Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday was a week before the resurrection, the Sunday before the resurrection. 
Jesus comes in, and it's referenced here in Zechariah, but he comes in on a donkey into Jerusalem. And if you remember the scene, like, the crowd's going crazy, right? They're like, Hosanna, Hosanna, you know, glory to God in the highest. They're laying down palm branches, and and here comes Jesus on a donkey. and, 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 And here's what they think. This is it. Jesus is going to overthrow Rome, and and we're going to be established as a people again. That's why when Jesus doesn't do that, it's those same people that crucify him, that shout, crucify him, crucify him. He has not given me what I want. Crucify him. That sounds familiar, huh? It sounds familiar because it's, it's exactly what we do. It's exactly what, what, what those outside of Christ do. I'll follow him as long as I get what I want. I'll, I'll use Jesus as long as I get what I want. But, but you see, the, the donkey should have given it away because if Jesus was coming to overthrow Rome, he probably wouldn't be riding a donkey. Those aren't great for war. You've seen Shrek, right? So he would have, like in Revelation 19, which we'll read as our benediction day, when he comes on a white horse. Like, that's why you come to war. You come on a white horse. But he came on a donkey. The donkey symbolized what In that day, what kings would do is when they had already established peace, they would come in on a donkey. And this is exactly what Jesus is doing. He's sitting on a donkey because he is the king of peace. Now, it's simultaneously he is the king of peace, but he's also, he is making a war. But the greatest war that he needed to make was to make peace between God and man. Because we did not have peace with God. And many of us still don't have peace with God. The greatest need you have is to be reconciled with God. To be at peace with God. Sin is what separates you from that peace with God. The scripture says that the wrath of God remains on you until you put your faith and trust in Christ. So the wrath of God remains on you. There's no peace between God and you until God saves you. And, and, and Christ is the mediator between you and God. And therefore, when God looks at you, he sees the perfection of his own son. And therefore, you're at peace. He's at peace with you because of the work of Christ on the cross. This is our greatest need. And this is what Jesus came to accomplish, to make peace between God and man. It's what was announced at his birth. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. He came to bring peace to us, to make our relationship right with God, the way it was supposed to be before sin, to reconcile us back to himself. Look at what kind of king he is. It says also in Zechariah that he was righteous and having salvation is he. He's a righteous king. It means he's without sin. He's holy. He's pure. Zechariah prophesied this, which means he, because he is righteous, he has authority. Because he is righteous, he uh, it, it was able, as we talked about last week, to be the sacrifice necessary to satisfy and satiate the wrath of God on our behalf. And so he, he was the righteous one. He lived the righteous life so that he could be the perfect sacrifice to, to win salvation and redeem a wretch like me. And, and this salvation is 
offered to all who bow to Christ and submit to Him and His rule and reign. Righteous can also mean justice. Um, you, you think about God being a just God. He is a just God. This is why, you know, because a lot of times when, when you're talking about uh, fighting for the faith, people will ask the question of, well, why can't God just snap his fingers and forgive sin? Why can't God just snap his fingers and welcome everybody into heaven? I mean, couldn't he just do that? No, he couldn't. Why? Well, he had already established the covenant that sin requires death. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So for God to go back on his word would make him not God. For God to go uh, against this covenant-breaking uh, element, it would make him cease to be God. So you need to take, I think, both warning and comfort in the fact that there is not one single sin that God does not see and not one single sin that will not be punished. Not one. Not one lie. Not one word of gossip. Not one lustful thought. Not one, nothing. There is no sin that will escape the wrath of God. Here's the element that's comforting for believers. Every sin that I've committed will be punished. Every one of them. But it, that punishment has been extinguished on the cross of Christ. So God poured out his anger and wrath towards my sin that it deserved onto Christ. This is what being a Christian is is what's being in Christ. It means we come under Jesus and he protects us and takes on himself the wrath of God that I deserve. For those outside of Christ, you will bear the wrath of God that you deserve for your sins forever. This is what hell is. And as a, as a just God and as a sovereign king, God is good to punish you forever for it. You deserve it. I would have deserved it. I still deserve it. But Christ accredited his righteousness to my account. And I stand in Christ holy because he is holy. I stand in Christ above reproach because he is above reproach. I stand in Christ as, as one that will be welcomed into heaven because he is perfect and he covers me. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. And, 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 and so Jesus, being a king, he's righteous, he's holy, and he is... Um, uh, he, he's defeated the, the, the dominion of sin and, and, and death over us, and he's established his own rule and reign. That's what he has done. And so the next point is Jesus came to rule and reign. Now, I want to explain that a little further because that's what kings do. Um, this needs clarity because now in, in our days, we see a lot of monarchs that are more figureheads than actual, ha actually have authority. But kings, biblical kings, uh, kings in, in, in it wasn't a democracy it wasn't a parliament uh, it was the king's word goes it, it, it was it was whatever he wanted that's what happened he was the the the, the word and by his word was law 
That's what, that's what being a king was. You, you ruled and you reigned and you, you were looked upon to lead well and to bring wisdom and to, 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 to lead your people the way they need to be lead, led. Now, obviously, because people filled with sin, we saw a lot of corrupt kingdoms. But not Christ. His, his rule and reign is holy and righteous and just and pure. And I think this is probably one of the greatest hurdles for our culture in coming to Christ. One of the greatest hurdles in our culture in coming to Christ is submitting to him as king. What do I mean by that? Well, I think it is very common for our capitalistic, autonomous I'm in control, no one else is in control, culture, to look unto God and say, no, you have to adapt to what I want. And you have to adapt to what I believe that you should be. Instead of us seeing how he has revealed himself to us and and bowing in submission to that. You think about it, I mean, no one in our culture now loves authority. I mean, whether it's bosses you know, boss is always the bad guy. I'm going to stick it to the man, right? Always the bad guy. Parents, I mean, fighting with kids or teenagers to under their house. You know, the authority of parents is under attack. You think about authority of, of government or authority of uh, anything that we've come up we, we, we just, we buck against anything telling us that we should do what they think we should do, unless it lines up with what we think we should do. And this is no different from God. God is an authority. God is, has, a, has a truth. He is truth, but he also has a truth. And, and this truth is not for us to come and say, well, you know what, i tell you what, I'm going to use as much of Jesus as is beneficial to meet what I want him to do, but in these areas, I'm not going to follow him. I'm not going to bow my knee in those kind of areas. This is why we have such great misunderstandings when it comes to things like sex outside of marriage, um, when it comes to um, any sin. Because we say, well, that's fine for everybody else, but it's not fine for me. It's fine for everybody else to, to be warned against gossip, but it's not fine for me. It's fine for everybody else to be, to be warned about stewardship, but it's not fine for me. All these things. Because we want to be the captain of our own ship. We want to be the one in charge of our own lives. We want to be the one that is the highest authority. That's what we want. I think it's, it's cultural. It's in us. It's natural. And so the greatest death that we die is a die to our own self. To say, I am not the sovereign of my own life. God You are the sovereign of my life. I am not the captain of my own ship. God is not my co-pilot. He's in charge. He's the pilot. He's the king. He's not my homeboy. He's a sovereign. And his kingdom demands... Obedience, submission. And to those who are redeemed, 
His commands are not burdensome to us. We joyfully and with great delight bow our knee to Christ. We joyfully and with great delight bow our knee to Christ. Let me explain joy for just a moment. Because so often in the church world culture, we, we kind of deem joy as this kind of manufactured, fake it till you make it. I'm going to smile to everybody coming in here, pretend I got it all together, but on the inside, I'm a wreck. But I don't want anybody else to know that. But I'm, I'm just going to pretend I have joy and, and figure this thing out. Let me tell you what the root of joy is. The root of joy is that you have peace with God. Here's where joy comes from. Greatest joy can transcend things like cancer, can transcend things like death of a loved one. Can, can overcome great temptations and obstacles. Why? Because it's not rooted in our own power or our own personality types or anything like that. What it's rooted in is the, the, the truth that I have been made right with God because he sacrificed his own son on my behalf. And because he loved me from the foundations of the world, sent his Holy Spirit to regenerate my heart and bring a dead heart to life. Because I have that understanding and, and, and knowledge of what he has done for me and I have peace with God it, it flows out of me in great joy and it doesn't mean I necessarily have to be smiling all the time but here's what I know I can go through any kind of hardship it's why Paul could say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me he can be, be content whether he's suffering or whether he's in comfort he can be content whether he's got a lot or whether he's got little why? Because his joy is that he is right with God. And this is where our joy comes from. And so for, for the believer, the commands of God are not burdensome to us. Those who have redeemed, have been redeemed, willfully, joyfully um, love to bow their knee to Christ in whatever he says. So that means if God calls us to some level of obedience, our answer is Yes. He calls us to die to ourselves in some way, our answer is yes. If he, he calls us to sacrifice, our answer is yes. If he calls us to give, our answer is yes. If he calls us to go, our answer is yes. Whatever our king asks of us, he is our king. And he's worthy of us saying yes. He's worthy of submission. He's worthy of obedience. Let me talk about how worthy he is for a moment. I mean, Jesus is the king and ruler over everything. He rules even creation. You think about, he tells the ocean where to stop. He commands, when you look at Christ's life, he tells, he spoke to the storm and said, be still. And it stopped. He fed 5,000 with a few fish and loaves. He told the sun where to shine, the moon when to rise. He, he, he gave the oceans its boundaries. He, 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 the, the psalmist talks about that he tells the snow and the rain where to fall and the, the water when to freeze. That'd be fun in South Florida. He tells the grass when to grow. He tells the wind when to blow. He rules over all creation. Not a leaf blows across the ground that God doesn't control. Ordain. He rules over disease. Look at Jesus. He healed the blind. 
made the, made the blind see and the lame man walk and the deaf hear and the dead rise. He rules over Alzheimer's and COVID. He rules over Parkinson's, diabetes. He rules over every ache and pain. You think about the beauty of heaven is his rule and reign said these will not be here. He rules over kings and rulers. Job tells us that he makes nations great and he lowers the boom on them. He, it says of the king's heart, the king's heart is like a stream of water and he directs it where he wants it to go. He rules over the universe. Hebrews 1.3 says, it tells us that Christ is upholding the universe by his word of power. Every time you look up in the sky, it's being held there by his word of power. Colossians 1, Paul says, In him all things hold together. The very chair you're sitting in, all things hold together in Christ. And he certainly rules the hearts of those he redeems. This means he's not just Savior, he's Lord. That means he's boss. It means he tells us what to do with our lives, with our children, with our work, with our money, with our sex, how we treat people, how we do business. He's Lord. He rules every aspect of our life. And this is the greatest hurdle for many in our culture. Because we will follow him for his hand. We want stuff from him. We want him to fix our children. We want him to give us blessings in our job. We want us to give us health. But do we f follow after him for his heart, his face, his presence? That we so love our king that if he calls us to go and lay our life down for the sake of the gospel, we would say, yes, king. Whatever you say, I'll, I'll do. We'll go. This is what it means to be under the kingship of Christ. We bow to his rule and reign. So, so, so you may think I'm being using a lot of hyperbole here. However, just because um, just because we are people that that uh, walk in our own way, we think, well, maybe he'll just forgive us. And no, I'm telling you, there is a king, and a reckoning is coming for anybody that is treasonous towards that kingship. You think, you, see, we begin to think, well, it's okay, they're a decent person. No, they are outside of the kingdom of God, cursing God, saying, I want to do things the way I want to do them. This is not mistakenness, this is treason. And the king handles treason the way the king handles treason. And he handles treason the way Revelation 19 says he handles treason. That every knee will bow to Christ. You will either bow willfully or he will cut your kneecaps. Now this isn't your Sunday school felt bored Jesus, is it? That's who he is. And if he were to show up here in glory, our faces would be melted. But we don't often think of him as king.
And therefore, we often don't walk in obedience to him. And we don't take our own sin seriously. Because we do not understand the role of Jesus as king. If we understood the role of Jesus as king, we would abhor our own sin. I'm talking to myself. We would abhor our own sin. Even though we would hate it and run from it. And we want, would not, want nothing that would look as treason before our great and mighty king. I want to give you an example of someone who would go at, at, stop at nothing to stop the kingship of Christ. Think of Herod. Remember when Jesus was born and the wise men come through town and Herod catches wind that the Messiah had been born, the king, the Christ had been born. And he said, well, where is this king supposed to be born? And he finds out that it's to be born in Bethlehem. And you know what he does? Upon hearing that his... Now, now, hear me, Herod, a grown man, threatened by a baby. Now, technically, Josiah was king at eight, so it, it could have been quicker than maybe we would do today. But threatened by this king, the baby, that he goes and slaughters all two-year-old boys two, uh, in, in Bethlehem, two and below, slaughters them all. Because he wants to be king. And this is exactly what we do. We will stop at nothing to be our own king. You want to be in control of your own life? What you want, you desire, that's what you think goes. That's the way it should be. And you'll stop at nothing. And look at the world. They'll stop at nothing. They may not kill a town full of two-year-olds and below. They'll, they'll certainly kill to be their own sovereign the one in control. They'll certainly fight God to be the captain of their own ship. And this is, Jesus it, it came to destroy that. He came to kill that. He came to offer us something better than that. See, again, we have to fight against our cultural understanding that we think whoever's king is the best. Whoever's famous, whoever's the richest, whoever has the highest influence, whoever has the biggest platform, they've really got it together. And Jesus says, no, 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 Jesus came to, he's the only king. And this is why you see a lot of famous people fall because they don't understand this. Now, Jesus is the only one to rule and reign. He's the only one worthy to rule and reign. And if he isn't your ruler, he isn't your redeemer. Now, I want to close out um, with, with verse 10. It says this. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. I think we see here again the king that, who brings peace. Verse 9 kind of predicts Jesus coming as the suffering servant. Right? That Jesus came as the, the lamb to be slaughtered. Verse 10 it, it begins it uses uh, words like uh, he's going to rule from sea to sea and, and from the river to the ends of the earth. This just simply means his, his dominion is going to have no end. It's gonna, so verse 10 is talking about the extent of his his kingdom and his rule and reign. And, and what it says is that it, it has no, no end, a worldwide domination. 
So what that means is the first time Jesus rolls into town, he rolled in on a donkey. He came in, he laid down his life so that men could have peace with God, sinners could be saved, we could have life in Christ. The second time he's coming, he's coming on a white horse and with an army behind him to slay every rebel against God. To bring judgment on the world, the living and the dead. See, if I could just continue to let us sit in this moment for a moment, because so many hearts, I think, um, see this as more of a game. Or maybe more of kind of a religious practice that you do because it's tradition or, or, or because, you know, this is what you've always done or, or because you're Christian because you're not Muslim. But Christ is king. And Christ came as a, a lamb, sacrificial lamb, and laid down his life the first time. But he's coming again as a conquering lion. The first time he laid down his life and extended great mercy, great compassion, great empathy, great uh, patience over sin, you know, to redeem a people to himself. The second time he's coming in wrath. He's coming in judgment. He's coming with a sword. And this is, this is so important for us to understand because I don't think many of us, because if you're a believer, what this does for you, it does a couple of things. If you're a believer, it gives you a great comfort. It gives you a great comfort to understand that were it not for Christ saving you, that you would be on the wrong end of the sword and you would deserve it. And so we're thankful that our king has given us the right to be called the children of God. He has brought us into the kingdom. He, he's adopted us as sons and daughters, that, that we are with him, we are in him. And so we are thankful that we are, you know, we have our conquering leader in front of us and we're trailing behind him. And for the non-believer, I think this in a healthy way should cause you great fear. Fear in the regard that you maybe haven't taken your sin as seriously as you need to take it. That you just thought you were kind of a broken person and you needed a little bit of fixing. No, you were an enemy and a rebel and a God-hater. And what you don't, you don't need a little bit of fixing. You, you need to be brought from uh, the, 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 the aim of God's wrath to hiding under the cross of Christ. And so maybe you have a great, don't have enough fear of God and the seriousness of your sin and the punishment that your sin deserves. I would plead with you to think about Christ. Think about Him as the coming King. Think about Him in His rule and reign. Think about Him as the one worthy of our allegiance, submission, and obedience. And I look back in the verse where it says, the daughters of Zion, Zechariah tells them, the daughters of Zion are to rejoice greatly and shout aloud that their king is coming. This should be the posture of the believer, that we can't wait to be rid of sin and death forever. 
We shout and we worship. We're excited of his second advent that he's coming again. We'll, we'll talk about that more next week. And, and that Christ came and he came the first time and, and he, he removed from us the slave master of sin and, and for his people bound us to Christ that he put himself on the cross. He, he gave up his own life to redeem a people. He was swallowed up in death, but death bit off more than it could chew. And the King Christ rose from the dead and defeated it and made a way for sinners to have eternal life. This is what Jesus has accomplished. So the question I want to close with is, is King Jesus ruling your life? And I don't care if you're 7 or 97 in here. Does he rule your life? Do the decisions you make in your life, are they made because that's what Christ has led you to? Do the sin that you struggle with in your life, are you running to Christ for healing, holiness, freedom? Or are you embracing it, saying, no, I want to do things my way? These are, these are just examination questions so for you to look at your heart to see where you are in Christ. And then I'll just leave us with the thought of, has he brought you peace? Do you have peace with God? Is your soul troubled? Or have you submitted to the king of peace? You may blame your problems on society or a boss or a spouse or anyone else. But do you have peace with God? Your problem, primary problem for humanity is your own sin. Have you made peace with God? Let's pray together. Father, first of all, just want to again acknowledge you as our king. And we so often, I should say we so seldom think of you in this role, in, in the way that you deserve to be worshipped in this role. Meaning we kind of bypass this to get to you being the suffering servant, but the fact that you have established a kingdom and that we are to be a people that continue to advance that kingdom and push back the kingdom of darkness and that we are be, to be a people that our lives are dedicated to the submission and obedience to Christ. We just, we give very little thought. We, we run our own lives and we hope that you'll bless us in little, little things here and there. But Father, I pray that especially in this Christmas season when we're talking about Christ coming putting on flesh and dwelling among us. 
He came to establish a people and, and to bring that people under Christ for redemption, to bring them peace, and to reign forever with them. So, Father, would you just help us to dwell more on you as king, worthy of all praise, worthy of every act of submission, worthy of every... You, you call us to whatever you want to call us to, God. Our, we, want us, we want our answers to be yes. Help us. And that's difficult for us. If it's sin, we need to cut out of our life. Let our answer be yes. If it's if it's obedience to go to all nations and maybe to lay down our life for the sake of the gospel, let our answer be yes. If our, if our calling is to be the spiritual leader, husbands, fathers, to be the spiritual leader of their homes, to lead their families in family worship, to, to study the scriptures that you might be known by the father and taught by the father to the, to the children and the family. Let our answer be yes. Whatever difficult thing you call us to, let our answer be yes. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Peace of God is the root of our joy in the Lord. And may we joyfully submit to the King of the universe. The one in whom all things hold together. Lord, no doubt there are some that have not bowed their knee to Christ. Maybe some that really like the idea of Jesus being a Savior, but they don't like the idea of Jesus being boss. <laughs> That's, again, just our sin nature. So I pray you would open their eyes to that truth. And that they would bow their knee to Jesus now as Lord and King. Father, we love you. And we submit to you. We are your people. We are a part of the kingdom of God. And we want to walk as you desire for us to walk. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, I want to.